watching ABC News this morning. Very interesting. The guy said, man, this is an interesting time. We have major developments in Russia and the Ukraine. Israel is uh, in an all-out war. And the level of security in America is gone up a notch as far as the threat of some terrorist acts. I don't know about you guys, but this is, this is an exciting time in which to be alive. Uh, our Lord, in His awesome Word, has forecast and told us a lot of things that are going to have to happen before He comes again. And I just see the pieces of the puzzle uh, taking shape, whether we are the terminal generation or not, I, I think things are definitely just taking shape. Russia needs to be strong. Israel needs to be in her homeland in order for all these things to take place, even predicted thousands of years ago in God's Word. So I don't say all these things to scare you. As you can see, I'm, I'm kind of smiling as I say these things because it is absolutely at warp speed, the things that are happening. And, uh, you know, it's just amazing to me that there can be a group of people so that, that so hate Jesus and hate us uh, that they would love nothing more than to obliterate us and take us off the, the planet. Uh, you know, I, I feel sorry for our president. I really do. I would hate to be in his shoes. Who, who knows what that guy knows? The things that he knows that are going on in our land, the things he's trying to protect us from that we absolutely have no idea what is going on behind the scenes. I really think things are going to get bad. I think they're going to get worse. I think there are going to be lots of terrorist acts in America. And I think during those times, people are going to do one of two things. Their hearts are going to become hardened, more hardened toward a God they don't believe in. <laughs> you ever notice that? It's interesting. Atheists, they, they hate the God they say they don't believe in. Or our churches are just going to fill up. I was pastoring a church in Virginia. Uh, we had 2,600 people in church uh, the Sunday before uh, 9-11. We were just rocking along like, like we always did, just praising the Lord, preaching the Word. The next Sunday, we had 3,600 people in church. We went from 2,600 to 3,600 in a matter of five days because people were like, wow, there are people that really hate us. Maybe I need God. Maybe I need, need help. So I don't say all these things to alarm you. I just say these, these are exciting days. And all of us, we're either going to worship Muhammad, we're going to be a Hindu, a Buddhist, a secularist, or we're going to be followers of Christ. And when you compare those religions, friends, when you juxtapose those, there really is no comparison. There is a God of love who loved you so much that He gave His Son, Jesus, to die for your sins. When you read the Quran, there's nothing in the Quran about love, about a loving, compassionate God. There is a very uh, bellicose, warlike spirit in Muhammad and in Islam in general. Now, I know what jihad is, and I know that that is a sad thing, but you're not going to read anything about that with Jesus. Jesus loves you, and Jesus wins, by the way, and he wins by way of love. Buddha said, I'm trying to figure out who I am. Jesus said, I know who I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's almost like I just want to get on a big megaphone and just say, America, wake up. Your redemption, church, draweth nigh. And if you don't know him, many of you don't know him, if I were you, I'd start to get to know him quick because things are happening at an alarming, alarming rate. Well, until that time, we have got work to do. And Jesus uh, has given us so many wonderful instructions in the manual there in Revelation 2 and 3 as he describes ecclesiology. He describes the kind of church 
that we need to be when he comes again. Now, this church at Laodicea, this is a fascinating church. If any church reminds me of the American church, it's this church. They are fat, sassy, and happy. I tell you, they've got wealth in abundance. They are doing really well, and yet they're not doing well at all. Uh, On the outside, they are wealthy. Things just look prosperous in this pivotal city. And yet on the inside, in the church, Jesus says, uh, you're like warm water. Or you're like, as the the graphic said there, you're like a warm Coca-Cola or warm cup of coffee that is detestable, and Jesus promises to purge it or to vomit it or to discipline it. So today what we're going to do is we're going to study the church at Laodicea. We're going to look at verses 14 through 17, and then, oh goodness, I've got seven pages of notes. Whenever I go to five pages, that's about a 50-minute sermon. It's okay, really, it's okay. Um, So we're either going to have to talk really fast or just stop and do three sermons. I haven't figured that out yet. All I know is I've been working on this sermon nonstop. I mean, yesterday, in the morning, and and in the evening, and even this morning, pouring over and over this message, and, and my administrative assistant said, God must really want to say something to some people because you're really pouring over uh, this message, and I am, and I don't know who you are, and I don't know what God's about to say to you, but I believe it's going to be very, very powerful because as your pastor, I'm in that crucible of preparation and discipline and, and just trying to be very careful and sensitive to the Spirit of God to say what the Spirit of God impresses me to say. I will say this, we're going to brag on Jesus today. It's all about Him. Revelation is not so much about the future, it's about Jesus Now, it is about the future, and it's also about the past as we look at Revelation 2 and 3. But this this book is the apocalypse. It is the unveiling of Christ and his eternal reign. So he says to the angel, to the angelos, the messenger of the church, of the Laodiceans, Jesus said, John, on the island of Patmos at the end of the first century, write these things. Are you ready? These things, says the Amen the faithful and the true witness, and the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, Laodiceans, that you are neither cold nor are you hot. I wish you were cold or hot, Jesus said. So then, because you are lukewarm and you're not cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, let's stop right there for just a minute. Can you imagine? The Lord of the church giving such a pronouncement, a prosecution, an indictment on a people that bear his name. Can you imagine what it would be like today if I stood up as the pastor of the Laodicean church and said, okay, Laodiceans, I got a message from the reigning Christ, and he says we are nauseating to him. Can you imagine that? So much to the point that He's ready to vomit us out of his mouth. You say, well, why in the world would Jesus say that? Well, he tells us why. He says, because you say, I'm rich, I'm wealthy. You know what? I don't need anything. And Jesus goes on to say, but you do not know that you're actually wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. There's a word that maybe you have not heard before. It's an interesting word. It's a compound word. Jonathan Rock has written an article, a whole article about this word in the Atlantic Monthly, and it is the word apatheism. 
Apathyism is a compound word that combines apathy with atheism. And the end result is apathyism is you don't really care whether God exists or not. And he's written a whole article about the demise of religion in North America, in Canada above, and us here in the United States. And he has some alarming uh, statistics and data, and so does the Pew uh, Research Forum. And as I was reading over that this week, I was astounded at where we have come in just a few decades. For example, in Canada, 1971, only 4% of the people would say, I'm totally unaffiliated with any kind of church. That figure today is almost 25%. In America, 5% in 1971 said, I'm unaffiliated with any church. In 2011, it's 20%. And guys, I want to tell you, there is a new group of religion of religious adherents in America, and they are called the nuns. Now, not N-U-N-S, the N-O-N-E-S, the nuns. 20% of our population has say, we're, we're not associated with any faith, any religion whatsoever. I am my own God. I do what I, I want to do. I go to the lake on Sunday if I want to. I do not go to anybody's church. There is I have no desire whatsoever. You believe what you want to believe. I believe what I want to believe. But here's the real deal. I don't care. Does that sound familiar? That's apatheism, by the way. And Jonathan Rock goes on to write his article, and he goes, you know what? Apatheism is not only true in the culture, it is also true in your churches. He said, for example, I am a homosexual, atheist Jew. And my Christian buddies, they could care less. They don't try to share their gospel with me. They don't tell me that there's a God, really is a God who loves you, and that's not the plan he has for your life. And he says, yeah, apathyism is alive and well in the culture, but he said, I would say even more so in your churches because you don't care. Because if my Christian friends really cared that I was an atheistic, homosexual, unrepentant Jew. That's his words, by the way. I'm an atheistic, homosexual, unrepentant, in-your-face Jew. And yet nobody seems to care in the church. They don't even tell me about their Jesus. Man, I'm going to tell you something. God, kill me if I ever get to a point where I'm apathetic and I just don't care that I am impassioned, or I have this cavalier, kind of take it or leave it kind of attitude. I'm going to tell you something, guys. Jesus Christ did not die on a cross to fill heaven with a bunch of wimps. Jesus Christ died on a cross on a stick of wood outside the gates of Jerusalem. And he was buried, and on the third day, God the Father raised him from the dead so that you and I would be people of passion, I mean, we would be people who share the gospel with our unrepentant, atheistic Jewish friends or whoever they may be. And I just believe with all of my heart that this church, the church at Laodicea, aptly describes the church in America. And I'm burdened for it. And I can't impact a lot of churches, but I can, by God's grace, I can impact this church in Austin, Texas. And here, here's my thing. If Jesus leaves us here... And if Great Hills Baptist Church becomes this radiant, effusive, vibrant, I mean compassionate, passionate, zealous, oh, 
on fire people of God, let me tell you something, it would change the city of Austin, and it would change the landscape of religion in America, and by God's grace, we would reach an entire unreached people group if Great Hills Baptist Church became zealous and had fervor and had passion for the things of God. God, strike me dead if I ever get up behind this sacred desk and just, just kind of go through the motions and just kind of give you a lecture or just kind of make you feel good. No, may God give me zeal to my dying days that I would stand behind this desk and I would plead with you, beg you to give your life to Christ. Life is too short. Life is too short to be an apatheist. I, mean, I don't even like the word. I don't want to be apathetic. I don't want to be lethargic. I don't want to be complacent. I don't want to burn out. I don't want to rust out. I want to max out. And when he comes, I want to be found faithful. Well, that's our introduction. <laughs> wow. I'm on page two. Man. Well, let's get into the heart of this text. Um... Man, there's so much going on, guys. So much going on in our world. I'm really blown away by it. And so much going on in our church. If I did not believe in such ardent, in an ardent way, in the supremacy of the preached word. I tell you what, guys, I, just forgive me because I'm about to say this even though I'm the pastor. The most important thing we do is when the man of God preaches the Word of God. Now, listen, take me out of the equation. Whoever that person is, whoever God allows to be the pastor of this church, I would, I would still say, listen, music and, and worship, they're awesome. But when the man of God, filled with the Spirit of God, preaches with the authority of God, God does something. He comes down in, in majesty and, and in power. And that's, and that's, that's very important. I almost just said, hey, teenagers, y'all want to talk about San Antonio. I really was thinking about this yesterday. Y'all just want to give a testimony of what God did in San Antonio. And I was like, I would like to hear that. That would be incredible. Mike and Claudia, I almost called y'all last night. They probably jet lagged, probably half asleep. They said, what, what, what? And I would have said, why don't y'all talk to us about what God did in Ukraine? 350 people saved in Ukraine. 30-some people saved in San Antonio, a, a teenage spiritual mutant on fire ninjas right here for Jesus. And I'm thinking, man, why don't, why don't they just come up and, and why don't we give a testimony of what all God did? And, and I was like, and God says, that's good. It's all good. Preach the Word, Danny. Preach the eternal Word. I'm, I'm pleading with you. Stand up. Be bold. Be strong. These are the last days. You be strong. And you tell them. You tell them what I tell you to tell them. And what I'm telling you to tell them is, do not be lukewarm. <laughs> Whatever you do. Be hot, be cold, but don't be lukewarm. Let's identify the key players here, okay? Number one, we need to identify the church at Laodicea. A.D. 55, this church was probably birthed somewhere around the first century A.D., Paul did not plant the church. We know that because Paul says in Colossians, I did not make it to you. And Colossae and Hierapolis and Laodicea are all in the Lycus Valley. And Paul never made it there, but 
there are two theories. Epaphras or Archippus planted the church. And by the way, you can find this in the book of Colossians and in the book of Philemon. Either Epaphras or Archippus planted this church, Laodicea. Paul didn't, but I believe Paul had a real influence from Ephesus on his third missionary journey as he stayed there three years, stayed there longer than he stayed any other place, stayed in Ephesus, and from Ephesus, the Word of God just burst forth and churches were planted. I think most of these churches were planted, the seven churches in Asia Minor. But, oh my, they had fallen. And they had fallen so far. Think about Epaphras, Archippus, they planted this body of Christ there, started in a little home. And then they begin to grow, and then they begin to evangelize, and, and they begin to just see great and grand things. And then in 40 years, in 40 short years, Jesus comes to them and says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. What happened? I wonder, I, and we don't know, and all I'm about to share with you is conjecture, but what probably happened is they got satisfied with where they were. They had money. They had influence. They were in a great city. Does that sound familiar? Had money. Had influence. Was in a great city. That's us. But somewhere, and by the way, the only thing it takes for a church to die is this. Either this group who started the church failed to pass the baton on, or this group fails to take the baton from them. Somewhere it happened, and they began to falter, and they began to compromise. <laughs> what the little um, diagram there said, they became wishy-washy, and so they began to lose their passion. So that's, that's the city, that's the church. Let's talk about the city. The city of Laodicea, let's talk about this. Laos means people, and dekeo, dekao means I rule. This is a democratic city started by... Antiochus II in the 3rd century B.C. He named this city after his wife, Laodice. Laodice. And it, it started out, and it was until, this, until the time of Jesus, it was a flourishing city of commerce, finance, banking, invention, medicine, and, and just its very geography. I, if you could just think of a cross, a a vertical horizontal line with Laodicea right in the middle. This city uh, was famous for its medicine. They developed in the medical school there this eye salve for, a medical, uh, for, for vision and, and eyesight problems. Uh, they also, one of the, the doctors there in that school of Laodicea, he said multiple uh, diseases. We need, we need multiple compound medicines, and all these things were just massive inventions, and, and this medical school began to flourish and to grow. And the city was located on a thoroughfare from north to south as they would come across the cities like Pergamos and Sardis, making their way to the coast. You had to go through Laodicea. And it was a major east-west thoroughfare. And so it was a propitious location. It was right there in the heart of of growth and this burgeoning economy. And so the city of Laodicea was doing quite well. This black, glossy goat's hair. I mean, they took that and they, they crafted it in such a way they made these silk clothing. And so as a result of all of this, medicine, invention, commerce, banking, finance, this city was a very flourishing city there 
uh, in the first century. Another thing interesting about this city. In A.D. 60, Laodicea was devastated by an earthquake. But instead of appealing to Rome for help, they were so autonomous and so self-sufficient, they said, Rome, keep your money, even though we are under the purview of Rome, we are self-sufficient, we are doing okay, and they rebuilt their city with no finance from Rome. They are the modern-day Germany in Europe today. These failing economies of Italy and and Spain and, and some of these teetering economies like Greece, they go to Mother Germany, Deutschland. Didn't they win the deal the other day? I'm just thinking they did win the deal. What do you call the deal? The World Cup. Yeah, they, they won that. i got to suppress my ADD when I, I just get, I get off and stuff. So Germany, by the way, they, they keep them going. That's Laodicea. They kept them going. A real city of influence and power, and yet Jesus, he, he, he plants a church right there. You ever notice God always has his people? God reaches the down and out, and God reaches the up and out. God always has his people. So that's the church in the city. But more importantly, let's talk about the Christ. Jesus describes himself in some wonderful language here. Uh, he says, number one, he says, I am the amen. Now, the, the word amen in Greek is a transliteration of the word in Hebrew. It literally is amen in Hebrew, amen in Greek, and amen in English, and probably every other language. It's, it's amen, and amen means amen. It means yes. It means firmness. It means absolutely. And Jesus says, I am, I am the firm one. I am the amen. I am the definitive one. And by the way, every time Jesus makes this trilogy of pronouncement of his deity and who he is, every single word is an indictment and prosecution of the church at Laodicea because he was everything they were not. Did y'all catch that? Everything he says he is they are not, and it's indictment to them. For example, he says, I'm not wishy-washy. <laughs> I'm not vacillating. I'm not here and there. I am amen, verity, truthfulness. You can count on me. Number two, he says, I'm faithful. I am the true and faithful witness from my Father. I was thinking about this and thinking about some cross-referencing, some passages. I think they're in your notes there, but let me, let me read this one. It's out of the Gospel of John. I love this. Jesus said, you sent me into the world, and I've sent them in the world. And for their sakes, think about faithful, true, faithful, true, faithful, true. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Jesus said, I am faithfulness, veracity, and truthfulness personified, and you're not. (laughs) I, I created you. To be that, I I created you to be an amen, to be a faithful, true, bold witness, a bastion of fervor and excitement for the gospel. But look what you've done. You've contaminated the gospel. You have become a chameleon. You've you've blended in with the wealth of the city, and I can't even distinguish you. I wish you were hot or cold. You're neither. You're You're just apathetic, complacent. No zeal, no, no fire, no fervor. Church at Laodicea, I'm, my heart is broken for you. And then finally, Jesus said, I am the beginning of the creation of God. The word beginning there is arche in Greek, A-R-C-H-E. Arche means originator. It means the beginning. Now, the Gnostics in John's day and the Jehovah Witnesses 
in our day say that Jesus Christ is not the eternal God. He was a created being. And, the, and God created Jesus, and everything came out. And, and they get this out of Colossians 1, prototakos. But that's not what prototakos means at all. In, in the Greek, it means not, not that at all. It means the kind of person that he is. He is the beginning. Listen, he's co-equal, co-eternal with the Father and with the Holy Spirit, and he is the agency through which Almighty God creates planet Earth. And you'll see this very clearly in Colossians 1. He is the icon, the image of the invisible God. He is the prototakos. He is the firstborn over all creation. Guys, do you, do you get this? There never has been a time when Jesus Christ did not exist. He has always existed as the eternal Word of God, the eternally begotten Son of God. I mean, He's right there, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I mean, in ontology, in an essence, they are absolutely the same and equal. But in roles and in functions, there is service there. Jesus said, the Father has sent me, and I have come. I send the Holy Spirit, and He goes. Even though we're equal in person, we have various roles that we fill. For by Him, well, watch this, for by Jesus all things were created. Not I was created. No, all things were created, Paul says, that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible, invisible, brother, you can see it or you can't see it, thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. I'm telling you, everything that has been created was created through Jesus, and it is for the benefit of Jesus. That's why when he comes again, friend, he's coming for what is his. He's, he's coming for what is his. And so he says, this is who I am. And you're, you're, you're not faithful. You're not true. You're not fulfilling your purpose. As I fulfilled the purpose of my Heavenly Father, I'm asking you to fulfill your purpose. Be a radiant blast of hope. Be a, be a radiant church that dispels the darkness. Watch this, church. Watch this. I love this phraseology. Poke holes in the darkness in Laodicea. Okay, next is uh, we got the identification of these, these three very important personalities, church, city, and mostly Jesus. Next is examination. <laughs> Man, I like this part. Jesus is about to, he's about to really thoroughly give them a prognosis, a diagnosis, and he's going to examine them. And, and this is what he says. Mercy. Oh, did y'all see that? I almost fell down. And bust my little crown. There we go. There we go. Okay, here we go. Verse 15. You ready? Uh, 3.15. He says, I know Oida. I know you thoroughly. It's not Gnosko. I know a little bit about you. No, I Oida you. I know you thoroughly. And you're, I know your works. By the way, they have no works. The only good works they have, are they're non-existent. This is the only church that Jesus had nothing good to say. Isn't that amazing? Even at Sardis, he would say, hey, some of you guys are still hanging in there, but all of their works were antithetical to the promulgation of the gospel. 
And Jesus says, you're not fooling me. I know what you're doing. And by the way, I wish you were cold or hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, but you're not. You're lukewarm, and I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Now, there are two, two theories here. Let me, let me share with you basically what these two theories are. Number one is a geographical theory, and number two is more of a theological theory. The, the geographical theory goes like this. Okay, so in Laodicea, they are one of the three tri-cities in the Lycus Valley. Laodicea, you got Colossae, 10 miles to the east, kind of northeast, and you got Hierapolis, which is 10 miles to the north. No, six miles to the north is Hierapolis. 10 miles to the east is Colossae. So if I had another hand, I'd put it right here. Are you all with me? A trilogy, a triumvirate of cities in the Lycus Valley. Now, in Hierapolis, it was a well-known fact that they were known for their hot baths. It, it had a medicinal component to it. You could, and I did this just the other day. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm getting old, people. I'm, I'm just, old is rough. I told Tommy, turn, Thomas over here said, Brother, you're not old. Fifty's not old. But I'm feeling it. I get up in the morning. I've got a tendonitis here. I've got a bad back here. I've got a bum leg here. And I've got an ankle over here. And I'm like, man. Aren't you claiming you go to heaven? You don't have none of that. It's, it's all good and healthy. Hallelujah. Well, anyhow, what was I saying? What? Hot bass, hot bass, hot bass, mineral, you know, physical. All right, it's good. Being hot bath. I was in the tub the other day at the gym, and I was just, I mean, I was just allowing that water just to beat. I forgot to tell you all about this thing here. I mean, I've just got it all over me. And so I'm just getting it all massaged with that water, and it's a good thing. Okay, that's Hierapolis. H is hot. Colossae is cold. They were known for their cold, refreshing waters. Now, Laodicea was known for not having either one. In fact, they created these aqueducts. I'll put them on the screen for you. The aqueducts, where they were underground uh, tunnels, if you will, that would transport uh, hot water to Laodicea in hopes that it would stay hot, and cold water in hopes that it would stay cold, so that it would be either medicinal or it would be refreshing. By the time it got to Laodicea, it was neither. You say, man, that's a pretty elaborate, uh, and that is, by the way. I don't know if y'all look at the same thing. That's a very elaborate aqueduct. Look, go to the next slide. This is even more elaborate. Do you, do you see the, the funnels? Do you see the channels through which... Did I tell y'all Laodicea I had money? You don't do that 2,000 years ago unless you got lots and lots of currency and economy. That was not a problem for Laodicea. They were determined to pipe in those hot waters, pipe in those cold waters, and they couldn't. And when Jesus said, you're lukewarm, they were like, ouch. How'd you know that? He knows everything. He says, you're neither. You're not hot or you're not cold, and I wish you were either. Now, some say that is the geographical explanation and stop right there. But I tell you, the people I've been reading, they disagree with that. They say, yeah, that's good to know. That's very good to know. But here's what Jesus was really saying. And this is going to bother some of you. It's bothering me, even though I believe it's true. A hardened, cold-hearted atheist is easier to talk to and lead to Christ than a lukewarm pseudo-Christian who thinks he's okay. I tell you, they're legion. 
In my state of Alabama, they are legion. In the great state of Texas, we've probably got a few as well. They, they know enough to be dangerous. They're not, oh no, they're not these cold, you know, uh, atheists and agnostics and no, 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 not that. But, but do you have a hot heart for Jesus? Are you so burdened that your neighbors are going to hell? Do you love to get to the house of God and worship and listen to the message and, and give your tithes and offerings? And you say, no, 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 not really. Not really. I'm not one of those people like you, Brother Dan, one of those absolute zealous, hyper people for Jesus. I mean, you know what I mean? Come on, you got you to gotta settle down just a little bit and be what? Be lukewarm like you. So you don't get all fired up and zealous about the things of God. And, but no, 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 you're not this cold-hearted atheist. You're, you're lukewarm, and Jesus says, I, I, I wish you were the one or the other. I'm still troubled by that. But here's, here's the quote that got me, and, and, I'll, and I'll read it to you. The correct solution is to see a picture of an unbeliever who has rejected the gospel openly and aggressively. He is cold. The metaphorical psychros is the Greek word. Cold. So despicable did Christ find lukewarmness that he preferred to deal with an obstinate opponent of the gospel, recognizing the greater possibility of finding fertile soil for the message here than a lukewarm professing Christian. Anything is better than lukewarmness, end of quote. That's Robert Thomas, probably written the best commentary ever written on the book of Revelation, in my opinion. John MacArthur says this, Consequently, there is no one further from the truth than the one who makes an idle profession, but never... but never experiences genuine saving faith. No one is harder to reach for Christ than a false Christian. End of quote. So I think one of two things are going on here. Number one, these people had this pseudo-conversion. They were never converted. And Jesus vomits them out of his mouth and he judges them eternally. Or, I think they were saved. I think they were saved. Many of them. But they had lost their hot heart. And I don't think nothing breaks the heart of God more than for one of his children that he bought with his blood become enamored with the world so contaminated that you've lost your zeal. And it breaks my heart as just a mere mortal human being, a pastor. It breaks my heart to see my people do that. And many of you do it. Many of you have PhDs in compromise. And your marriage stinks. Your life stinks. But you're still going to do it because you think you, you got it all figured out. And you'll, you'll just work it out. Give me, give me, give me just say something. Give it all to Jesus. Just give it. He said, well, Brother Danny, I, I can't give him a sex life or my partying life. I can't give it all. Listen, he gave everything for you. You give it all. Surrender all to Jesus. Be, be hot. Have a hot heart for Christ. I love hot-hearted people. I, I tell you, I'm drawn to them. My favorite president is Teddy Roosevelt. That guy was ridiculous. He, 
Man, I wish we could get some Roosevelt people like that back. I mean, they were, they were strong leaders. He, was, he had these idiosyncrasies. And I've read Edmund Morris's two or three volumes. I forget what it was. He's an amazing biography. By the way, if you're looking for a good biography, read that. Teddy Roosevelt would get the cabinet members and take their clothes off and go in the Potomac River and go night swimming. People, that guy's crazy. He, they said, no, I'm just doing a little exercise. That's a, that's a bad sight. These white, naked males going in the Potomac River swimming. People are like, oh, my word, put your clothes on, Mr. President. And then they heard these noises in the White House. And there was this bam, slam. And these, I mean, he's, he has a sumo, Japanese sumo wrestler in the White House, and he's, he's going at it with him. And then Taft comes in. Y'all remember Taft? Taft was hefty. He'd get Taft in there, and they'd start wrestling. And furniture would start flying, and things would start breaking, and people would say, our president has lost his mind. His own daughter said, my dad is the corpse at every funeral, and he is the bride of every wedding. That's just who he is. But you always knew where he stood. Where, 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 where are those goofy, eccentric, idiosyncratic, passionate people? Well, here, here's what Roosevelt did. He said, he got the Navy together. He said, we're going to go on a goodwill tour. He got all of his fleet, his naval fleet together. And he sent them out into some of these places that we're talking about today. He sent them out for this reason. He said, there are people going to see the United States of America. And they're going to give us goodwill. Because this is who we are. We are a people of might and a people of strength. And we are a people of our word. I wish we had presidents like that. I mean, bold leaders. I forget the swimming naked, forget the, the, the wrestling, but just convictional, bold people. Listen, you don't write biographies on wimpy people. You don't. Steve Jobs, help me. Apple, Mr. Gates, Microsoft, Mr. Landry was a great coach. You, you write these books and, and, and history is made by people of, where are those people for the gospel? Where are those martyrdom kind of bold, compassionate, zealous, sell it all, give it all to Jesus Christ kind of people for the gospel? Man, that's, I want to be one of those people. I want to be one of those people within moments you know who I am, where I stand, and I'm compassionate, and, and I, want, I want to get you to heaven. You say, Brother Danny, you can't be like that. In heaven's name, why not? Why can't I be like that? Why can't you be like that? Oh, mercy, Brother Danny, you're scaring the jibbies out of me. I, I can never be a zealous person for Jesus. Listen, listen, people, this world is going to hell. I tell you, we are in a fight for our lives. We don't see it yet, but it's coming. It is a coming. And when those people who know Jesus and take a bold stand for Jesus, let me tell you something, friend. Those are the people. Those are the people that Almighty God's going to use. I want to be one of them. And I want our church to be one of them. My last statement, I think. Oh, oh, I forgot that whole page. Uh, Okay, I, I just, by the way, y'all can get these notes. You can have them. 
We, we got them on the website. Listen, I want a bunch of you to get these notes. I want you to teach this. I want you to do all the, you don't have to do all the research. You take it, start Bible studies in your homes. If, if God moves you away to another city, another church, take these materials and use them. That's why I spend dozens of hours on one sermon. Not because I don't have anything else to do, but because I don't have anything better to do. Just study the Word of God and pour that Word into you so that you'll be a disciple of Christ. Okay, I just got to skip it, and this is the last thing I want to say. God is too awesome, and the gospel is too glorious for me to be lukewarm. Get get, get hot, get cold, but whatever you do, let's let's get passionate for Jesus. Let us be known. It's a radiant church, and when he comes, he has no problem recognizing great hills because we're shining the gospel. Brother Daniel, we're baptizing people. Brother Mike, we're going, going, going for God. And Brother Ross, let's just keep discipling. Let's just keep teaching people. And and Brother Terry, please don't stop. Whatever you do, don't stop. Keep leading us to Jesus, this passionate, radiant, fervent worship. Not this performance thing. Look how wonderful we are. We're not wonderful. We serve a wonderful God. And we want, whoa, man, we, we want people to come here because not because we're all, we're all that. Jesus is he's all that. And we want as many people as we can. Get them in here and get them connected to Jesus Christ. Man, that's, that's what I want. Last thing, I know, I know, I hear you, Adam. Last thing. I got to say this, and then then we're done. Okay, here we go. Boy, if I could just, okay. You say, all right, Brother Danny, I'm with you. Tell me two things that I can do that'll keep my heart warm for God, hot for Jesus. All right, I'm going to give them to you. Number one, tell people about Jesus. I've yet to meet a lukewarm soul winner. (laughs) Have you? I've yet to meet anybody who's lost their zeal who simultaneously shares their faith. Man, these teenagers, they were just, oh man, they were... They were asking people in San Antonio, what, let me ask you the miracle question. Who, who went on the trip? A- ask me the miracle question. Go ahead, Natalie, stand up. Ask me the question. Did y'all hear that? You say, no, I'm sitting in the back, brother. I can't hear nothing. She said, if, if God could do a miracle in your life, what would it be? And can I pray that miracle for you? They, they did that all last week. And then they took it, they're taking it to Austin with them. And they're going up to complete strangers and saying, Hey, if God could do a miracle in your life, what would it be? Could I pray that miracle for you? Guys, that's a pretty cool question. And you know, when you, you have that kind of heart, that kind of zeal for Jesus, and you're witnessing, you don't have to worry at all about being lukewarm. You said there were two things. Thank you. One more. 
be generous. Just give. Give your time, give your money, give your energy for the gospel. I've yet to meet a generous, lukewarm, I mean somebody that's just full of generosity and love and compassion, and yet they have a, a cold heart, a, a lukewarm heart. So I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. We're going to have our invitation. And then we're going to, um, we're going to dedicate, commission a couple more teams to go out. And church family, I, I just hope you hear my heart today. I am soaking wet up here with sweat. I am pouring out every ounce I have. It, it just may be that God would use me to reach somebody here today. And you would walk away from lukewarmness. And you would walk in to being a zealous, fervent, passionate follower of Christ. In fact, with your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, if that is you today, if you're ready to move out of the mediocrity and the mundane mess and to step into a zealous, passionate, fiery zeal for Jesus, then why don't you just talk to the Lord? Why don't you do business with God today? First of all, and I'm going to get into my sermon a little bit next week, we need to confess. We need to say, Lord, I'm sorry. You deserve a fiery love that won't ignore your sacrifice because you pay so high price for me. Now, if you have a cold heart and you're one of those that just antagonistic toward God and the things of God, I invite you to repent and believe on Jesus before it's too late. And those of you that are with me that are you're not perfect, mercy, you're not perfect. But, but best, you, or best you can, you, you really want to max out for God. You want to be a soul winner, you want to be a giver, you want to be a promoter of unity. Can I just, can I just say, I'm so proud of you, I love you, I, I appreciate you. And there are a bunch of you here today, there are a boatload of you here today. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. And during this invitation, Lord, before we rush out of here, God, these moments would be sacred moments and there would be some heart change here today. God, I pray for people that are looking for a church home. Lord, would you change their paradigm? Would you change them from saying, well, what's in it for me? And what kind of program do you have here? What are y'all going to do about this? How are y'all going to help me? And, and Jesus, would, would their desire be, how can I serve you? How can I use my spiritual gifts at Great Hills to promote the kingdom of God? And I know, Lord, that's different. That's so anti-consumeristic. That's so anti-American. What's in it for me? No, what's in it for Jesus? And how can I help Great Hills be that kind of church? Lord, would you send those people to us? Send those people to us, God. We want them. Lord, we want them. Lord, for those believers, God, I really do. I believe there's just a lot of warm believers. Satan has them where he wants them. But today, oh God, I pray they would step out of their mediocrity and their warmness and they would say, Jesus, here I am. I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. In Jesus' name I pray.
invite you to stand. If this sermon was for nobody, then let's just wrap it up and go home. But if there's somebody, just one of you, two of you, would say, man, that's me. I'm ready to give my life to Christ. I'm ready to surrender my all to the King of Kings. He gave it all for me. And I'm going to give it all to Him. Why don't you come even now? Terry, you lead us. And we'll greet you. We'll pray with you as you come.